Hey, this is Jeff Burlingame with Burley Sales. And if you want to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy, you should be listening to Stories That Sell with my friend Scott Ramage. You have the knowledge, the experience, and the talent needed to succeed. But in the day and age we live in, skill is not enough. Your story is the most powerful tool in your arsenal. This show will help you tap into that resource and learn how to leverage your message to gain deeper influence and build a lasting legacy. Tune in each week as thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and authors share how they've built empires on the backs of their story. You're listening to Stories That Sell with your host, Scott Ramage. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, processing payments, sending out marketing emails, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gyms is here to make sure your business runs as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everyone is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms.com. That's V-A-S-F-O-R-Gyms.com and book an appointment to find out more. Hey, this is Scott. And in this episode of Stories That Sell, I chat with a friend of mine, Jeff Burlingame. Jeff has been in sales for 15 years and has achieved multiple awards and accolades for top, top grossing sales numbers in multiple industries, including retail, fitness, and business coaching. And he's created a really cool system to help business owners, salespeople, uh, anybody in any field, uh, how to better refine their sales process and presentation skills and the whole thing. And uh, in this, in this, episode, Jeff and I talk about really what kind of led him into sales, uh, his transition from kind of a corporate sales experience into owning his own business, and then to now where he's building his sales course in his own sales mentoring company. This is a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Hey, before we get started, imagine having a team of virtual assistants helping you out with everything from scheduling appointments, nurturing leads, sending out marketing emails, processing payments, creating content, managing your social media accounts, and so much more. The Ace for Gems is here to make your business run as smoothly as possible so that you can focus on what matters most, serving your clients. We offer a wide range of services that will completely run your business and give you the one thing everybody is limited on, more time. Check out our website at www.vasforgyms, that's V-A-S-F-O-R-gyms.com, and book an appointment to find out more. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How you doing, man? Doing good, Scott. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so uh, man, what's going on in your life? You know, we talked probably, what, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago <laughs> on a different podcast. So uh, like at that point, you were you were doing some... You're doing some sales stuff for a different mm -hmm. company and you were kind of fresh into your, your burly fishing. Uh, I think you were pretty fresh, fresh into your burly fishing experience. You have a YouTube channel and a podcast. So what's new in life? Yeah. I mean, a, a lot has gone on since then, but uh, I'm still working with two brain business. I've been a mentor there and sales specialist there for going on five years. This January, I think will be five years, maybe more. Um, so it's been you know, good, fun, long journey and great experience. Uh, lots of great mentors there. And we launched uh, Burley Fishing. This September will be two years, mm. two years ago. So Burley Fishing has been around uh, in two years. You know, we've amassed over 21,000 subscribers. Uh, we're over going on 12,000 followers on Instagram. Um, it's been growing really well. We're at that, that stage where we're forging some pretty cool partnerships with different fishing organizations, um, some, some organizations that, that give back like autism anglers, which is fantastic. Wow. I've got good friends there. Um, my daughter has autism. So it's something that means a lot to me. And then, um, 
you know, working with, uh, you know, just different bait companies, you know, lure companies, and then like rod and reel companies. So it's been cool. Like I, I'm a gear guy. So when I get products sent to me, like I'm a little kid at Christmas, like if you remember that, uh, the, the viral video back in the day, the kid opening the N64 and he's like, mm-hmm. it's Nintendo 64. That's like me every month when I get fishing products. Uh, but yeah, th- last week we launched, um, what we call burly sales. So if you can't tell, I'm trying to start some giant burly organization, uh, <laughs> which, you know, we can get into the, na- the naming later. It's not, maybe not what you think, but, uh, yeah, burly sales is a, a, um, online course as well as is a sales mentorship company meant for individuals and businesses looking to maximize their sales through improving their sales process. We have the idea of a perfect sales intro, as we call it. You might call it a sales appointment. Uh, we don't like sales appointment as a term, so we call it the intro. Uh, but we help companies or individual salespeople forge those or put those together. That's really cool. And it's very, very needed. And I do want to dig into that a little bit. I do want to, I do want to comment about your fishing gig because I, I I follow you and I'll, I'll see you like got something new and got something and my whole mind is going I see piles of lures and equipment and one as a gear nerd not in fishing I would be going nuts if I was doing something where I was getting all this free stuff to me I mean I would be like a kid in a candy store like all the time it would be a little crazy so I, I, I can uh, I can see why that's really cool um, and you just moved. Did you have to get a bigger house for all that stuff? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So like I'm in my new office there is oh, wow. my fishing wall. That's yeah. some of the stuff. All the shelving underneath is more stuff. And then there's like all the tackle boxes down there. Um, actually, these are like my unused fishing rods. There's like 15 there. And then my useful ones are upstairs with my boat. So yeah, I mean, did I get the house for the fishing stuff? No. And yes, <laughs> uh, no, we need more space. So I got a growing family. I got two daughters. I'm married, been married, uh, you know, happily now for over 10 years and uh, actually been with my wife for 20, 20 years. This is it this September? Yeah. Next month will be 20 years that we've been right together. Right? High school sweethearts. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's awesome. Uh, my wife and I started dating 30 years ago in July. So kind of, we're just 10 years ahead of you, but still, um, high school nice. sweethearts as well. It's the, it's the way to go, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I kind of can't help but think that you have uh, maybe an eye for marketing and sales only because you've grown Burley Fishing and that whole organization to such a mass following. I think a lot of people are going, wow, how do I do that? Um, mm. That's maybe another conversation, but like, let's rewind in your life to I mean, if you could think of some things that kind of formed you into and forged you into a salesperson, because I'm thinking as with your um, with your experience and your time with Two Brain, where you're you're kind of in the sales in a sales role there as far and as well as the fact that you've owned brick and mortar business before that, and um, so let, let's kind of rewind and talk about your experiences. Yeah. So uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but um, I, I, I think if I had to pin a point in my life where I started being a salesperson, my my mom would tell you I've been a salesperson since I was born. Uh, <laughs> because if she took me to the grocery store and I wanted Lucky Charms and she didn't want to buy Lucky Charms, I would say, but mom, there's a prize in the box. Or, but mom, they're delicious. I need them. And I would try to sell her on, you know, products like that. Uh, But I I would say for me, like my professional career kind of stems from, uh, you know, (laughs) flipping the script here, more like family trauma, like my parents Mm. got divorced when I was nine. Uh, So seeing my dad like every other weekend, and, uh, you know, our relationship got kind of strained throughout that period of time, coming to the point where I went to college. uh, You know, I I had maybe uh, learned a lot, over the years about myself and about what I could do. I, I credit a lot of that to sports. Uh, one of my, two of my favorite sports would be rugby and wrestling. Like th- those were sports that I, I was pretty naturally good at and uh, really enjoyed, but also built my work ethic. And I think a lot of wrestlers, rugby players can kind of agree with that. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that. I mean, wrestling in particular was one of the hardest 
and most rewarding things, I guess I, I got the opportunity to do in my life. Uh, and I, like I said, I, I developed that work ethic. I was ready to work hard, figure things out, do what I want to do. But I also learned a lot about fitness, started falling in love with that, even coaching some of my fellow athletes. So like going into college, my dad would you know, say, you should do this career path. You should do that career path. I think he pointed me in the direction of packaging, right? He, <laughs> he was going the safe route which I think after the pandemic, we all know that the safe route is not the safe route anymore. But, you know, he had my best interest in mind going from this old school of thought, you know, and I was not I was like, Dad, that's boring. Like, I don't, why would I I don't want to do that. And no offense to anybody in a packaging career, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there is a cool side of marketing to that by all me. Absolutely. And maybe I just didn't see it that way. But I was like, Dad, I don't want to do that. That's that's boring. That's dumb. I don't want to do it. So for me, it became, okay, how can I do something that I'm passionate about? And originally I went into college at MSU after getting some of my basic credentials done at, at Oakland university. I live in Michigan. Uh, but you know, I went into, into college, into a brand new like program, uh, that I think it was called DMAT or something, but it was about, uh, like computer programming or videography. It was like this, this little more artsy kind of thing that you could do. And I did that for about a semester and then bailed out because I was like, this isn't what I thought it was. So I was like, what do I do? So I had a couple friends who were in the exercise science, uh, you know, kinesiology pathway at MSU. So I decided to jump into that. And I remember distinctly having a conversation with my dad where he, he just straight up asked me, and I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, so what are you going to do? You're just going to work at a Gold's gym for the rest of your life? Like, how is that a career path? And that was sort of a defining moment for me where I was like, I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome if I could work at a gym all the time, dad. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I am going to make this work. I'm going to make, I'm going to make a living doing this, doing something that I enjoy, that I believe in, uh, which is helping people become healthy, become more fit to change their lifestyle. That was something that I was passionate about and enjoying. I wanted to see people become fit. And I knew that I could make a living doing it. And I was basically like, yeah, dad, I'm going to, I'm going to show you that I can do this. And don't get me wrong. My dad and I have a great relationship now. Uh, this is just, I don't think there was any ill will in what he said, but I also don't think that he sees, you know, what potentially could have been like an ill will statement, right? He didn't see it as a negative uh, the way that I saw it. Um, so that, that was sort of that defining moment. So yeah, so I, I got my, my bachelor's degree in kinesiology uh, at MSU and then I get out of college and uh, like many college graduates, I go, what, wait, what do I do now? Like, how does right. this work? And we're all lost and confused. That's the world. Uh, so I, I became a personal trainer. I actually did that while I was still going to college. So I had my certification. Um, I did my internship at a local, basically like a country club uh, and was doing personal training there with some of those clients, like built up my own programs. And I was like, I think I can do this. Unfortunately, like I, I applied with them and I was like, Hey, bring me on full time. And they didn't have room for it. So I did, you know, a little personal training around town at like your any times, your snap fitnesses. I was like bouncing around for maybe a couple of months. Uh, until I landed my first official sales job, uh, which was with a subcontracting personal training company, which is a mouthful, <laughs> but they operate as a company within a gym that they do not own. And they basically just like pay rent, right? But then for that rent, what they get to do is utilize all of these like lukewarm leads, which are gym members. So people join a gym, then what? We all know they they go in there, Sally walks in the gym, puts her earphones in, gets on a treadmill and just starts trucking along, doesn't know what she's doing, doesn't get any help or uh, service provided by the gym at many, many gyms. This is how it goes. And just 
you know, all around is kind of like lost, like doesn't really make progress. So we would come in and we would go talk to those gym members. We'd call them up, cold call them. We'd, uh, you know, pull them aside in the gym. That was probably the, the scariest slash most fun thing to do. And we would offer them what we call a PTX or a personal training experience, which mm. is now what I call the intro. And at that time, we had a three-page script. It was, we had to read it verbatim for this company. They tested us on it. Uh, memorization was crucial to them. And we had to do it exactly by the book. Say this, then say this, and then say this. There wasn't even really like an if this, then that. It was like, just do this, do this, do this, do this, right? So that was interesting as a first-time sales experience. Maybe maybe in a good way, because I was like, what do I say? I don't know. So it really helped me like, kind of figure that out, lay the groundwork for sales. But looking back, it's like, dude, don't do that to your salespeople. Like don't, don't yeah. so heavily script that because it really doesn't help them learn. And it becomes more, very much more robotic uh, for the consumer, for your customers. It's just not really a good look. Um, that said, I learned all about sales metrics and sales goals and how to handle objections from that company. And that really helped propel me forward in my sales career. I ended up uh, being their top seller in the country. They were all around the country uh, in my first couple months of being there. And then I remained their top seller. They made me an area manager in Michigan. So I managed several gyms, uh, you know, within like an hour, hour and a half area in Michigan. And then my wife and I did the thing that young graduates do. And we just up and pulled our roots and moved. So we moved to the East Coast to Virginia. I on a whim flew down there and we we both uh, interviewed at separate places. So she interviewed at a school um, in a tough area in Maryland that's actually has a, uh, a, um, a documentary on this as well. It's called Baloo High School. Oh, wow. and yeah. So she worked there for a year. While she was working there, I had applied at uh, a, a gym chain called Export Fitness. Um, I don't care about saying the name, they still exist. And I have a good relationship with them and they were super good to me. Uh, but that was more like corporate gym mentality, right? So it's huge, huge gyms, like gigantic, say 18,000 square foot gyms. Uh, each of these gyms would have, you know, tens of thousands of members, most of which didn't attend. I mean, we kind of know how those metrics right. work. Uh, Planet Fitness came out with those metrics. What is it last year or whatever in Forbes and talked about this, like a very large percentage of those members don't attend because they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. So we actually had an in-house personal training department that I applied for and got the job at one of their new smaller gyms that they were opening. And by smaller, I mean, it was only 6,000 square feet, which isn't small, uh, but it was in Arlington, Virginia. And I was the fitness manager there. Um, it was my job to hire and train and develop personal trainers, as well as an assistant manager. Uh, and we had, I think, 20 at that location, 20 personal trainers and an, an assistant fitness manager. And quickly became their, their top salesman. So I was crushing PT sales there. From there, moved to managing my second location in Alexandria, Virginia, which was my opportunity to grow with this company. And they made me a regional manager. And I started managing uh, four gyms in Virginia, two in uh, Long Island, New York. So I would fly to Long Island once a month for like two or three days to check in on our gyms up there. Now it was my job to manage six fitness managers and assistant fitness managers and around 300 personal trainers and everybody sold. So uh, AFMs and FMs sold and then PTs all sold. So it was my job to set their sales goals, track their metrics, make sure they were doing their job and train them on handling objections. So I got a lot of my reps in on training and developing salespeople there. So I have a, a pretty, you know, deep experience with that at that point. And that was just like my first, we're up to five, six years of sales at this point. Um, so from there, we hung out in Virginia, I want to say three and a half years, my first daughter was born. And, uh, you know, she was that was 2013. So then by the end of that year, 
I think December of that year, we moved back to Michigan. We want to be closer to family. All my family's in Michigan or was at this time, <laughs> but we moved back to Michigan and on a whim, I got another job. I actually flew out for an interview and I've done this before now <laughs> a few right. times. So I fly out for an interview in Michigan with a much smaller gym chain that I will not name because we do not have a good relationship. And I'll tell you why in a second. Uh, but I started you know, working for them within the next, I think, two weeks. They moved us. Uh, so I did appreciate that they did that. They helped us move back. And now we're back in Michigan. I'm doing the same job, but much more tight quarters. No flying around this time, all in Michigan, all within an hour, an hour and a half again. But I had, I want to say 13 gyms at that point, all just much smaller gyms, smaller membership base, smaller square footage, all that. And same job. I mean, instead of having six managers, six assistant fitness managers, and 300 trainers, I had 13 fitness managers, no assistant managers, and all the all the fitness managers sold. PTs did not. And I want to say I had around 100 personal trainers just, you know, across those 13 clubs. So kind of cut that to one third of its uh, previous number, right? Uh, so that went well allegedly went well for like two years. Um, we were doing good. We were hitting sales goals. I was keeping them happy, but I wanted to do my own thing. I was sick of working for people. And that's when I found CrossFit. And, you know, I'd, I'd been dabbling in like CrossFit stuff, just working out at these Globo gyms, doing CrossFit workouts for, I want to say two years at that point. I was like, I need to open a gym, but the franchise cost for like an anytime or a snap, if you guys don't know, is a lot for a person of my caliber uh, who did not have an insane amount of money. So it was like 150K was like a starting fee for a lot of these things, if not more, but you needed also like a million dollar net worth, which I didn't have. So I was like, okay, can't do that. What can I do? CrossFit, because CrossFit was the lowest barrier to entry. So I decided that's what I'm going to do. And one of the partners of this gym company I worked for helped me open this CrossFit gym. Mm. And I'm all like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I just lucked into this amazing experience where I get this assistance to get started and do my, my thing, do, you know, follow my dream. And he's my partner in this thing. Well, about six months in, we're not growing that much. <laughs> we're not, you know, personal training is kind of out the window. That's my specialty is selling PT here. I'm working at 13 gyms and trying to start a business, which is absurd. And we're only selling group memberships and we were inside of an 800 square foot racquetball court. So tiny room, terrible acoustics. Our initial rig was made out of wood. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was absurd. We had minimal equipment. Uh, it was inside the gym. So their gym members would just come in during classes and just do random stuff in the room, like yoga. And we're like trying to do a class or whatever. We couldn't even like barricade them out of there. So six months in, it's not that great. Uh, partnerships are strained with the, the partners who own the company. And uh, basically my partner like just hung me out to dry. And was like, these guys are running across the gym, just like burned me down. Oh. And the other partners were very upset about this and immediately thought I was stealing members, oh, I was stealing man. equipment, this and that, none of which was true. And they didn't care if it was or not. They just didn't want to hear it. So <laughs> they, we had to move out within 48 hours. The partner like gave me the heads up, even though it's totally him that burned me, uh, gave me the heads up. You guys got to get out of there. So I had to find a new location in 48 hours. So I did. So I move out of there. Right. And we move out, we get to a new location within a couple of weeks. Like this fire finally meets me at my doorstep. And, uh, I got called into the owner's office and they fired me and it was not, a good time. <laughs> it was, it was pretty rough. I had like, mm -hmm. you know, 20 or so members at my gym just signed on to a three-year lease, uh, because I had to, and was trying to make that thing work and not paying myself out of that gym the whole time we had been going along. And I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, raise a family. I just had my second daughter at this point, this is 2015. <laughs> and like, the way the firing went down, I don't know if anybody who's listening to this has been fired before. Uh, but you know, if, if you get fired from like a big corporation, it's like, Oh, we're letting you go. Or like, you're getting laid off. 
this was like I was being sworn at, being threatened, wow. uh, you know, in a, a back office where there were 12 other employees just in the general whereabouts who were overhearing the entire conversation. So this guy just rung me out like right in front of his partner, who was my partner for CrossFit. So that guy just sat there and let me take it. And I walked out of there. I drove back to what is now my gym, the only job I had, uh, which was paying me $0, drove back to that gym and coached class for the rest of the day. And then afterwards, went home, told my wife what happened. We had our you know emotional moment. And then we said, well, I guess we got to make this work. So that's when things really fired up at the, at the CrossFit gym. And I've been working with two brain business to try and improve our, our processes to really get things going, to start making some money. Uh, I called up Chris Cooper, told him what happened. And he told me to give myself a raise. So I gave myself a raise with the money I didn't have coming in from revenue and I had to make up for it. And that was another like prove it to myself scenario that I found myself in. So we just started, I went back to my roots of selling, uh, started marketing more, uh, started using uh, what two brain calls affinity marketing or referral marketing. So I started asking my members who they knew, who do you know, who is like a magic line in sales uh, and started getting, you know, more clients coming in. We grew it from those 20 members to 110, I want to say, um, consistent members come, coming in. We uh, brought our revenue up to 100,000 that year. And then the next year, we did 250% of that revenue. Wow. Uh, so year over year, did 250% of revenue by adding like personal training, by improving our sales process, by introducing what we call the sales intro. Uh, and, you know, that really changed everything for us because the sales intro is something I've been working on for 15 years at this point uh, and really makes it easy regardless of the industry you're in. Although I'm in fitness, this applies across the board. I've worked with other sales mentors on it uh, in the industry and it really applies to retail, to services, to everything because it focuses on what actually matters in a sale, which is developing trust and building a strong relationship with your prospective client and finding out what their needs are, like what they want, but more importantly, why they want it so that you can more appropriately assign or prescribe a solution. So it's like you come to the conclusion together. It's a win-win. So I would have people signing up for two, three, $4,000 personal training deals, but it was their conclusion. They were like, I need this, which made it so much easier for me to close the deal, to get them to sign up. It's like, it was a duh moment for both of us. So they'd sign the deal and I'd congratulate them. Like, congrats, we're gonna change your life now. And they'd be excited. Can you imagine being excited, spending two, three or $4,000? Like, I'm usually nervous about it, but if a salesperson helped me come to that conclusion, obviously I'd feel better about it. Right. And that, that was our goal, our intention, uh, developing that intro. And it's been working. I mean, I work with, uh, with two brain, like I've developed sales processes there. We deliver them to gym owners all over the world. And at this point, um, I think on their website, it's listed. We've worked with over 2000 gyms. That's over 2000 gyms and tons unaccounted for that are using an intro, which is something I've been developing for 15 years. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I mean, your numbers in the gym and having to, well, let's put it this way. You know, a lot of people say they have their, they burn the boats, like they, they make this decision. Okay, I'm going all in. Your boats were burned for you. I mean, they were pretty much towed in and lit on fire and pushed back out while you're standing there uh, neck deep in the mud, right? So yes. you, you mentioned before you kind of went into the story about <clears throat> about uh, getting fired, which must have been an absolutely horrible experience, uh, that you wanted to do your own thing. And that's pretty much the catalyst of where you started your gym. Had you always wanted to do your own thing? Because you were pretty much steeped in kind of this corporate pathway, you know, kind of this gym, large, yeah. large corporation or big company pathway. Like, when did you start to feel that entrepreneurial itch or, or that, that, that need to like do your own thing? Yeah. I mean, if you know anybody in corporate fitness or corporate fitness sales, 
it is it is uh, soul destroying. It is absolutely soul destroying. So <laughs> you know, around that time that I had had my my first daughter, uh, by the time we moved, she was six six and a half months old. Um, so in that six months, I was qu- very quick quickly like rapidly realizing that uh, I was slowly dying inside, and um, it wasn't worth what I was missing. And I think there was one key conversation that came from a mentor of mine at that company that changed everything. Uh, and it was that we, we were talking about the job. We were talking about opportunities of growing uh, in my regional position to like an area manager, which would have been like for them, you know, a peak position where you're making, uh, you know, 200, 250,000 a year and you get bonus potential and they fly you all over the country and they do all sorts of stuff with that. What that required of you was seven days a week of work, Um, you know, hours and hours a day. I was putting in 90 plus hours a week already. I was like, this is not ideal. I have a young daughter. I'm missing so many things. And what this guy said to me was like, look, you're, you're building a future for your family later. It's a future later. You're missing things now. And he's like, I get it. Like sometimes, uh, a lot of the time I miss bedtime. I miss story time. I miss bath time, but it's something that I'm willing to do for the future that I can create for my child. And to me, I was like, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to miss that because you get that once. You don't know once. what that future. Yeah. yeah. Once you don't know what that future is going to be like. Sure. You built a great future, but you have no relationship with your children. And that was that turning point that I was like, nope we're done. We're done here. Like I'm done. I'm out. And right that day I went home and started looking for the job in Michigan. I was like, we're moving back home. We're moving back with family and I'm going to find a way to spend more time with you guys. And over the years I've gone from doing that. I was at the gym from, you know, I, I leave my house at 5am because I had to work out before my quote unquote shift. There was no real shift. You just worked all day. So I'd work out before my shift, 7 a.m. I got to start working, working. And then I worked 7 a.m. until 9 p.m. at night, sometimes 10, 10, 30. And then on closeout for the month, midnight, right? So I'm getting home at like 10, 30 on a normal day, 12, 30, 1 o'clock on a, on a, a closeout for the month. I'm never seeing anybody. It was awful. My wife and I had a tough time with our relationship at the time. I was drinking way too much alcohol. Uh, Things were not great. So I saw this path I was going down and I was like, hell no, I need to do my own thing so I can control that path. Now, granted, when you open a gym and you try to make it successful, you're going to still put in a lot of hours. So, you know, you know, I was able to over the years develop individuals in my business at the CrossFit gym who eventually bought my gym. I was able to sell it for a profit two years ago now. It seems crazy how long ago this was. Uh, And, you know, this is pre-pandemic that I sold it, which was lucky for me, not at all anything I could have foreseen happening, but it did. And they're still going. They are still successful. I'm I'm really happy for them. It's called Friction Grand Rapids. Uh, They're here in Michigan. And uh, I think they're, they're doing an awesome job. But I was able to get individuals like that on my team who could run the business with me and then for me. And, you know, they were driving the business. I eventually made one of them the CEO. I was like, this is, this is your thing. I gave them the authority, the ability to run it. Uh, I was able to pay them more and help them make a career out of this. And then I got that time with my family that I had been striving for. And now I work from home a hundred percent. So yeah they're upstairs right now. They just got back home from their first day of school. So I get to go talk to them about their first day of school in a little bit, which is super cool. I would have never been able to do this if I still had that corporate gig. And I'm thankful every day that I had that conversation with that guy because I could have kept going. Like I, I told you about like wrestling just jacked my work ethic up to an 11 out of 10. And I could have nose to the grindstone it for 10 more years, but I'll tell you this. I had a very good friend and mentor at that company who years later would have been five years ago now. So years after I had left actually committed suicide. So he was at that company grinding it out for what amounted to nothing in the end because they demoted him and his, his life was the job. I would say I wasn't like, 
not that I wasn't surprised that he did that because that was, that was awful. It was an awful thing to hear. And I feel really bad for obviously his family and everybody involved and everybody who has a close relationship with him, because I think he was an amazing person um, and definitely worked his butt off and helped me so much. Um, but the stress that went into the job, the hours that went into the job, it really became who you are. And then if that rug is pulled out from underneath you, like it comes crashing down, something's got to give, you know? So yeah, yeah I didn't yeah. want to stay on that path. <laughs> yeah. I think that's something that people don't understand. And then of course we all get into the building your own business and it's, it is a lot of hours, mm -hmm. but you actually do get to work towards designing your day as you get to a certain point. So it makes, it makes yeah. sense. Um, so you're, you, you've got the gym now you've had to completely dig back into your sales and you, you've got, you, you got it to where it needed to be, obviously, especially if you sold for profit, which is, uh, a great indicator that you, <laughs> you did it. You Some did more. a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now you've been out on your own two years without, mm -hmm working from home, what have been some of the bigger challenges? I mean, pandemic aside, obviously that's a little skewed the whole yeah. thing, but what's, what's been some of the biggest challenges, uh, kind of pivoting more away from having a brick and mortar and solely kind of being on your own with, uh, from homework. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of individuals are dealing with this right now, like dealing with how to work from home and how to be productive throughout the day and how to set their own schedule and work hours and, you know, get stuff done and not just find yourself in buried in busy work that doesn't really amount to any productivity or buried in Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, endless scrolling, right. And getting absolutely nothing done, not growing as an individual. So I find that I found that much more challenging last year. I currently still find that challenging, but I'm getting better at it. Uh, it it's definitely a, a skill that people need to work on. So I think one regimenting your schedule is huge. Like just blocking your schedule out to say during this time I'm doing this and then doing that and like holding yourself to it or having a partner like I have in my wife that helps, she helps me be more accountable to that. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we actually have business meetings every day. So business and personal, uh, my wife and I meet in the morning and we say, what are we gonna get done today? And we pick out like our top three goals and we try to knock out all three by end of day. Some of them involve, like I said, personal. So you're going to have your chores around the house, but you're also going to have like, uh, you know, send the girls off to school, do, you know, first day of school pictures and then recap with them over dinner. And we're having all these meals together. And that part I believe is amazing. And I'm happy that a lot of individual, if there's one positive, maybe that comes out of this pandemic are like at home with families more. Um, I understand the obviously anxieties and unknown and the stress that this pandemic brings. So I would never, uh, you know, dim the light on that, but I would say a lot of us have been able to spend more time with our family because of that. And that is one bright light right there. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, working from home has been kind of nuts. Uh, but I had been doing it with two brain for, like I said, five years now, but by the time I sold my gym, it was three years I'd been working for two brain. So it's pretty comfortable with the idea of like taking calls and that's what I do from home. And that's what we offer with Burley sales. So that mirrors what I already do. And then the rest of it was filming a crap ton of videos uh, in order to build an online program. So there's 60 videos in our online course right now. Uh, and there's also a bonus five videos that I got from my friend, Joe Marcu, who is also a, a sales coach in the space. Um, and he specializes in objection handling. So I have like his specific, just say this kind of objection handling method on the board. And then the rest of what I'm presenting is sales mindset, uh, marketing and onboarding with your leads. So how to like book appointments, how to get them to pick a time, how to get more of them to show up then how to craft the perfect intro so that you are selling at a much higher percentage. You are closing more deals. Um, you know, and our, our goal is to help really anyone involved with selling, which is everybody, uh, but specifically those with the sales process or a need for one. So it's a many 
companies, I'd say like the vast majority of companies and sales uh, individuals. Yeah, I mean, there's no uh, any. You you kind of pointed something out that I love to I love to say is like it, if you think you're not in sales, you're wrong. Like everything you do is a sales a sell, and you know some of us are more naturally gifted at it. But but for instance, I mean, I it's very difficult for me. I can do it, but it's not yeah. my natural gifting. So you have sixty courses or sixty videos for your course. Is that what you said? Yeah, that yeah. is very robust. I don't know how many hours it is, but uh, not the videos are not like one hour long. Yeah, right? right. So I would say the entire course is probably like a thirty to forty hour course. Yeah. Um, and you know, then there's going to be homework involved in there. There's handouts. There's all of that. I mean, to your point, no, I'll say this, and I've I've said this many times. Nobody is a born salesperson. Like, yes, I mentioned earlier on, I was trying to sell my mom Lucky Charms so that I could have more sugar in my life, but not everybody, I, I, I would say nobody is a born salesperson. Everybody sort of acquires an understanding more or less for human psychology and body language. Because what it really comes down to is like, when it, when it comes to communication, 7% of communication is your words. So when I look to the sales gurus in the space who are constantly saying things like, I'll give you Grant Cardone says recently in his current sponsored ad, do your sales staff have 157 ways to solve objections? Well, those ways that he's talking about are persuasion tactics. They are very specific, say this, then they say this, then they say this, right? Um, which is scripted. And it's fine to have a script to base things off of. But if you don't understand how to communicate that to somebody, in other words, your tone of voice, your body language, then you're actually missing out on 93% of your communication. Because tone of voice is 38% of how we communicate. And body language is 55%. So if you try to grant Cardone it over the phone, I'm sorry, but that's only 7% of the way we communicate if your tone sucks. Now, if you add tone into there, like, okay, now we're stepping things up a little bit. We're at 45% of communication. So you're not even halfway there. But if you go to Zoom or in person, now at least we're communicating all the way. However, those tactics are also aggressive persuasion tactics. So aggression begets aggression. Like when you are aggressive in sales, you're going to turn most people off. Yeah. And yeah, I had an experience recently uh, and I was sitting there talking with the salesperson and they were saying all the right things. They're handling the handling of the objections, everything. And I'm like, makes sense. Yeah, I agree. But his tone and his body language was horrible. And I would there, like I had decided that I don't if whether, how, no matter how bad I need this thing or he, I think I need it, I'm not buying it. And that, that goes to your point is yeah. those, the, the tone, your body language, you know, all of that is, that's the first thing people are going to subconsciously notice, if not consciously, it makes yeah. all the difference in the world. hundred percent. And, you know, that is uh, basically the entire first section of our course and something that I focus on, on mentorship and role play calls all the time, because if you don't know how to use your tone of voice as a valuable asset, then you are going to struggle in sales. If yeah. you don't know how to use cadence in your voice and, and how you speak in your delivery, then you're going to struggle in sales. If you don't know how to appropriately use or interpret body language, uh, not only what you're giving out, but what people are giving to you, if you don't understand it, you're going to struggle in sales. So a lot of what I see when people say, I, I'm not a born uh, salesperson, or um, I hate selling, or I can't get used to selling is that in my mind, they're picturing the Wolf of Wall Street. They're like, I can't be Jordan Belfort. And I'm like, good, don't be Jordan Belfort. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to be Grant Cardone. Uh, in my opinion, you shouldn't be. Right. And I believe that when it comes to sales, like the truer, authentic person who uh, strives to help uh, first and foremost will be the one that wins long-term because as we speak about, if you guys follow us on Instagram at Burley Sales, uh, I think there's an underscore in there, Burley underscore sales. But if you follow us on Instagram, we post daily tips. But what we talk about a lot is like assertive, not aggressive, right? So 
that aggressiveness, as I mentioned, it, it gets received incorrectly by the consumer and it's going to harm your relationship. So our goal is for you to establish long-term client relationships because it's not about one sale. We don't chase dozens of dollars, right? We trade, we chase thousands of dollars. You should be establishing a strong relationship with this client because they don't just buy one time. Even if you sell products, they don't buy one time. They buy this iteration and then the next iteration. If they buy a service from you, let's say you're an electrician, you want to get one time, like they come out, you, you come out to their house one time and fix one thing and it's like, cool, done. Or do you come back again and again and again? Are you their guy or their girl now? Like, are you the person that they go to? And that's what we want, right? That is what the intro right. helps establish because we don't use aggressive persuasion tactics. People know when they got got, people know when they've been sold. People don't like to be sold. They sell themselves. It's a different story. And that's what we look for with that win-win solution. Yeah. It's so important. I said I wasn't a good salesperson, but I had a good closing rate. And I think it had more to do with meeting the person where they're at, uh, yeah. the, the body language, the tone, the all of that may have came. Well, plus believing in your product. Now, if you're selling for your own yourself, yeah. you're you better believe in your product. That makes all the difference in the world as well. Mm -hmm. um, so what's in a piece of advice? Like what's a real basic piece of advice you give? I mean, you probably dropped about 10 of them there, but what's like the number one thing? Like you listen, you're, someone comes up to you, Hey, I've been doing sales for 10 years. What's the one thing that I know anybody, everybody needs to get better at. The, the number one tip I have for anybody in sales is uh, shut up. Just shut up. Just stop talking. Um, and, and it's, again, it's one of the main themes I think right now that we're putting out with our social media is, is along those lines. It's that most salespeople, especially those who struggle with selling, talk too much and telling isn't selling. Right. So if you want to sell more, ask more questions and listen, because people will sell themselves always. If you are in a sales appointment or what I like to call the intro, then you are talking to a person who is in a buying position. They wouldn't be in front of you if they weren't in a buying position. They're there because they want what you got. They wouldn't have researched you. They wouldn't have Googled you. They wouldn't have looked at your website. They wouldn't have called you. They wouldn't be in front of you now if they didn't want to buy. You have basically... The, the only thing you can do is screw this thing up at this point. Right. That's what unfortunately happens most of the time. But if you try telling them points A through Z of why they should work with you, you're doing it wrong. If instead you ask them what they want and why they want it, then you can simply connect the dots. Here's your solution to their problem. Point A to point B, done. And you show them why they need what you have. So yeah, number one tip to any salesperson, I've been teaching that to salespeople since 2007 or eight uh, is shut up. Cause I used to, I used to talk too much too. <laughs> and then I realized, Oh, you just ask questions. They sell themselves. This is great. Yeah. There's magic in asking questions. It's just really yeah. the magic solution to so many things. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to, um, before we go, I have to ask you the one question I ask everybody. So I know I just kind of hit you with one, but we have another one. Uh, and, you know, thinking back to your youth or college or working in the, the corporate gym world, what would be one piece of advice that you would give yourself to go back in time? Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> one piece of advice I would say is slow down. Mm. Um, I think that life hits us all really fast and that when hit with a, a problem, we strive for the quickest solution. And, uh, unfortunately, most of the time that is not the right solution or not the best solution. If rather we took some time and thought it out much, like I said, shut up. If you're in sales, like maybe just pause, reflect for a second when introduced with a problem, uh, and then come up with a solution because I feel like I'm the one to rapid fire solutions. I'm like, what if we did this? We'll do this. We'll just do that. And I used to jokingly say that I thrived in chaos when I was at that corporate uh, fitness gig. But the thing was, I was drowning. <laughs> I was yeah. drowning. I, I 
mistakenly thought I was thriving, but here I was working, you know, 11, 13 hour days coming home and then drinking, you know, until I fell asleep. So it's like, were you, were you, uh, being, you know, thriving in that chaos or were you just drowning, like openly drowning, like people you're in a city pool in the middle of the pool treading water and then you're blub blub under the surface like that's how it actually was behind the scenes right. uh, and i just kept lying to myself rather than just like take a second to breathe right i i think that we all find ourselves in this position where uh there's just so many problems in the world and we're working all day and then we're with our family at night and then we're watching tv or we're on social media like when do you actually like pause and reflect on your day or on some of the bigger problems in your life that require a solution, you know, or, you know, are, are you just constantly ignoring those and brushing them underneath the, the rug at the end of the day? So I think, yeah, slow down and reflect is still something I need to work on, but probably would have helped me a little bit more get to where I want to be faster <laughs> than I eventually did in a roundabout way. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I once heard someone say, um, slow down to speed up. And it took me a while to really kind of like take that in and really understand what they were saying. It really is that you will get a lot further if you slow down and you really kind of pace yourself and don't get stuck in that race. It's really yeah. awesome. So Burley sales, uh, I mean, if people want to find Burley fishing, they just go search Burley fishing. It's very prominent. Uh, tell us about, uh, Burley sales. Yeah, so Burley Sales, unlike Burley Fishing, which has been around for two years, is uh, is much smaller because I opened it last week. So yeah, it's very fresh. Uh, yeah, the the course is available. Mentorship is available right now. BurleySales.com is uh, the website, so you can go check it out. Um, my wife and I have been working on that, so it's a uh, it's a work in progress, but it works. We have an acuity schedule, so if you want to book a free discovery call with us, uh, then you can click any of the thousands of buttons of call to action right. on, on the page. And I'd be happy to talk to you. Those are 30 minute calls. We get to know you and or your business. So if you're an individual selling or a business itself or a team, you know, we'd be happy to talk to you, get to know what it is that you guys need, what can help you and try to find out if our services align and then maybe we can help you out. We offer mentorship calls as well. And, uh, you know, we have an Instagram and a Facebook, both Burley sales. Uh, as I said, Instagram, it's Burley underscores uh, sales. Uh, and then on Facebook, it's just Burley sales. We'll probably, I don't know, get a TikTok going or something, a YouTube soon. Um, actually, on the horizon, I'm going to be doing a podcast for this uh, called Help More, Sell More with my friend Joe Marcoux. So that podcast, we awesome. are recording our first episode this week. I don't know when you're dropping this episode, but at some point, this podcast will exist. So stay tuned for that. And uh, we'll probably start a free Facebook group as well for sales tips and Facebook Lives uh, at that point, we we do focus on helping as much as we can up front. Obviously, it takes more work than that. That's why the course and mentorship exists. That's awesome. Yeah, I really like that. I like that approach. I, I like it. I'll definitely be a part of that group. So make sure you invite me um, or I'll be yeah. watching for it. And uh, and uh, I appreciate your time, Jeff. It's been incredible. All that information, folks, will be in the show notes. We're not going to leave you hanging trying to remember that. It's pretty easy for early sales, but you will be able to have some clickable links in the show notes uh, if you're listening on Apple or whatever, actually, whatever resource. So, uh, man, thanks again. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Stories That Sell podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, be sure to leave a rating and review and subscribe to hear interviews with incredible guests each and every week. <laughs>